About a decade ago, Jeff Bezos introduced Amazon Prime to the United States market with the promise of free two-day shipping for pretty much any product your heart desires. You click a button of the picture of the product, and within two days, it arrives magically at your doorstep. I love Amazon Prime. And I know I'm not alone. 100 million other customers have signed up for Amazon Prime. And I quickly got accustomed to it, though. As impatient as I am, two days suddenly started feeling a bit long, especially when they run late. One time we were about to go on a trip, and we really needed something for the trip. We were going to leave in three days. You see where this story is going. So I clicked the button, and there was some issue with the shipping, and it didn't come in time for the trip. I'm embarrassed to tell you how indignant I was. <laughs> this thing that didn't even exist a couple of years ago, the universe suddenly now owed me. I become so impatient. Well, I'm told that two-day shipping isn't quite fast enough for the markets. We might anticipate two-hour shipping with drone delivery. Have you seen this? It's a real thing. They're working on it. I can't wait for that, actually. <laughs> I need to begin the sermon with a little bit of a confession. This sermon is for me. The first two words, and some of you, I know, it's the first two words of James, be patient. These are words I need to hear. Someone on the staff here at church just this past week said, you know, Nathan, you check your watch a lot when we're in meetings. It's true. This is a confession. I'm a very impatient person. Just yesterday, Nancy didn't know what I was preaching on today. Just yesterday in the car, these words came out of her mouth. I think you might be the most impatient person I've ever met. <laughs> I said, oh, you, you can't wait for the sermon tomorrow. I know I'm not alone. 100 million people signed up for Amazon Prime. Can we make confession together and go home and just be patient? These two first words of our reading today, be patient. They come like a shot across the bow of human impatience, of human anxiety. And James offers it to us here as a reminder, and he reminds us to be patient in three different life circumstances. It's right here in this brief paragraph. It's profound in how much it covers. He reminds us to be patient in three life circumstances. When we're waiting on provision, when our purpose is in question, and when we're in pain. Be patient in those circumstances, James shows us. Let's look at the first one. Being patient when we're waiting on provision. Verses 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James offers us here this first of three illustrations. This first one is a farmer. Picture now a farmer, a farmer back in Bible times. They didn't have the large combines and machinery that we have nowadays. It was simpler. It was close, more closely tied to the soil. They had rudimentary plows that they would attach to oxen with yoke, and the farmer would stand on the back of the plow and ride behind the oxen and dig a trench through the dirt in his field. 
And after the trenches were dug, the farmer would gather a sack of seeds and literally get down on his hands and knees and plant the seeds into the trenches and then cover up the seed with his hands. They probably had a lot of dirt under their fingernails in the time of the Bible. And this was the farmer's job during planting season, to go down row by row and to plant the seeds in the earth to cover it up with soil. And then his job was to look up into the sky and wait for the rain. That was his job, to be patient. Oh, he could busy himself, I suppose, with making sure his plow was in tip-top shape or building his barn so that it would be ready to receive when the harvest came. But really, his job was to look up into the sky and wait for the rains and wait for the rain maker to send the rain. How silly it would be for a farmer to get out his calendar and anxiously look every day, is it going to rain today? And wake up the next morning, is it going to rain today? Why isn't it raining? The farmer knows that rain comes in season. And so James is showing us here, are you waiting on provision? Think of a farmer and be patient, trusting that God will provide what he promises to provide. Now, there's probably very few farmers here in this room. So I was trying to think, how can we apply this to our own lives? And the number one thing that came to my mind in this town is bonus season. Some of you know all too well what that's like. The bonus is coming. There's all kinds of anxiety. There's even grumbling or complaining sometimes. There's anticipation. Is my bonus going to be as big as it was last year? Is my bonus going to be bigger than my colleague's bonus? Why is my boss getting a bonus that size? He doesn't do anything. I've heard all these complaints, okay? And God says to us, in bonus season, be patient, or maybe if it's just a paycheck, or maybe it's a new job or a job raise, and we get anxious, and we start pulling out our calendar saying, why isn't the provision coming today? And James says to us, God says to us through James, be patient. How is that possible? How could we be patient when we're waiting on provision? Well, James shows us here, it's not a calendar issue. It's a heart issue. Look what it says here in verse 9. It says, establish your heart, that's verse 8, establish your heart for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I think what James is showing us here is that if our perspective, if our anticipation is looking forward to the next paycheck or the next bonus or the size of the bonus, James is saying lift your eyes a bit higher to the horizon and wait, establish your heart on the coming of the Lord. That's what we can anticipate. That's what we can spend our days longing for, for that provision For the second coming of Christ, if we establish our hearts on that, we will have more patience when we're waiting on material provision. That's how you do it there. Now, maybe you're the type of person who you have a regular paycheck, your bonus is good, you don't have much anxiety about what's coming up, and James takes us then a a layer deeper to some of us when we question our purpose. Maybe we have a stable job, but we sit there at our desk, or we have a calling, or we're doing something with our lives, and we wonder, is this all there is? Is this really my purpose? Well, God says to us through James, if you're questioning your purpose, be patient then too. Verses 10 and 11 say this, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophet's 
who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. This is the second illustration that James offers us. First, it's the farmer. Now, it's the Old Testament prophets. And the reason I think this really points to us and how we should be patient if we're questioning our purpose, James says to us, you think your job is hard? Think about an Old Testament prophet. What was an Old Testament prophet's purpose? I'm thinking as I wrote this sermon, I was thinking about Deborah. She was a prophet and judge in the Old Testament times. And Deborah's job, her purpose, was to go into prayer with God and say, God, what do you want your people to know? And God would give her a message, and it was her job to go deliver that message to God's people. What did he tell Deborah? He told Deborah to tell my people, repent, turn back to me, and you're fighting the wrong battle. That was basically Deborah's message. So she received that that from God, and then she went out into the temple, into the synagogues, into homes and street corners, and she said, repent and turn back to God, and you're fighting the wrong battle. And she watched as the people, with their ear pods in and their iPhones just scrolling, (laughs) just walked on by and said, oh, Deborah again. So she went back to God, and she said, God, I told them, and they ignored me. And God said, go do it again tomorrow. That's your purpose. James shows us how difficult it must have been for the Old Testament prophets. They must have questioned their purpose, yet it says they were blessed, those of them, who remained steadfast, who fulfilled the purpose, even when it was confusing, even when it was hard. They were patient. They were steadfast. God says, be patient if your purpose is in question right now. Be patient. Keep doing what he asked you to do. Meanwhile, there's this wonderful reminder at the end of our reading today to keep our integrity in these moments. Sometimes when we're waiting on provision, and it's not coming and it's not coming, or when we're questioning our purpose, we tend to make false oaths. Let's read verse 12 to be reminded of keeping our integrity in these moments. It says this, Above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Sometimes when we're in those situations, when we're waiting on provision, when we're questioning our purpose, we can find ourselves making oaths to people. I swear on my mother's grave, I'll pay you back. Or I swear on my life, I'll keep my end of the bargain. We can lose our integrity. We can start making these swears. James is saying when you're in those moments of impatience, of scrambling, keep your integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But then James takes us another layer deeper. Because everything so far in the paragraph seems to be sort of work-related, provision and purpose. But James wonders with us, what about when we're in pain? What about when we have suffering? So he offers his third illustration. First a farmer, then the Old Testament prophets, then Job. Let's look at verse 11 to see what we can learn from Job. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. It's an interesting word to describe Job as steadfast. Those of you who know the book of Job know he's an Old Testament figure, he's an Old Testament person, that for some reason that we may not know until we get to heaven, God allowed Satan to torment. And Satan unleashed a whole list of suffering upon Job's life. He lost his home, which is a pretty awful thing 
to have happened to you. But then he lost all his kids as well. They died tragically. And then if that wasn't enough, Job lost his wife. And then things got really personal. Job got a terrible skin disease. It just felt awful. He could hardly sit up straight. He was in so much pain. And yet James says he was steadfast through all of that. I have to just give a quick side note. How awesome is it that here at Stanwich Church, our kids and our students right now are learning about Job and suffering. I think this is awesome. You can go to like any church in America right now and they're teaching their kids about fluffy stuff. No, no judgment on every other church on planet Earth, but our church is better. <laughs> the reason I'm excited about this is I feel like in our culture, we've raised up a whole generation of bubble-wrapped kids who have no idea how to face hardship. They have no idea how to face suffering. They have no theology of suffering. Not here at Sandwich, baby. Our kids are learning a theology of suffering. Can you tell I'm excited about this? Yeah. I want my kids to have some anticipation, some perspective when suffering does come, as it inevitably does, how to deal with it. The bottom line that the kids are learning today in the youth room and the children's wing is that when you're suffering, God is enough. Our kids are learning that right now. Okay, enough about that. Job, I find it curious that James calls Job steadfast or patient through his suffering. Have you read Job? Many of you have. He, Job has three friends, and they just talk, 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 talk. It's really just bad theology through the whole book. We know it's bad theology because at the end, God comes out of the whirlwind, and he says, everything those three guys said is, is bad. But he says, I like what Job was saying. So what was Job saying? When, the, when we read James, we might think that Job, in all of his suffering, and all of his loss, and he was steadfast, we might picture Job just sitting there quietly. Mm, I'll be patient through more suffering. No, Job cried out. He cried out to God. He didn't grumble against one another as it warns us against here in James, but he cried out to God, the one who could take away the pain. So this gives us a little bit of freedom. To remain steadfast, to remain patient through pain and suffering doesn't mean to sit idly by. No, it means to cry out to the one who is in control, who could take away the pain, but who maybe is doing something in our souls through the pain. Job cried out in a number of different ways that God affirmed. One of the ones that I want us to see this morning is in Job 16, verse 18. Job is talking, remember he's suffering, he's lost everything, he's got boils all over his skin, and he says this, O earth, cover not my blood, and let my cry find no resting place. In other words, don't cover up my pain. Somebody look at this. I don't want to cover up my pain like a farmer covers up the seed under the soil. I don't want the earth to cover up the blood that I've spilled. I want a witness. Verse 19, even now, behold, my witness is in heaven. And he who testifies for me is on high. This is so amazing. Hundreds of years before Jesus Christ would come and walk the earth, Job cries out and he says, can I get a witness in heaven for my pain and suffering? Can I get an advocate up there? He didn't know, Job didn't know, that when Jesus came, he would be described as the advocate 
the one who intercedes for us day after the day, day after day, the one who sits on the right hand of the Father, who intercedes for us, who says to the Father, look at them, Father, look at them. Do you see them in their pain? Do you see them in their misery? Do you see them in their suffering? Do you see them in their sin? Give them grace. Give them love. Give them help. Give them comfort. That's what Jesus does for us. He is the witness in heaven that Job cried out for. So what does it look like to be steadfast through pain and suffering? It looks like calling upon the one who is our advocate, the one who is our witness, the one who endured pain on our behalf, namely Jesus. Are you waiting on provision? Are you questioning your purpose? Do you have any pain or suffering in your life? says in Hebrews 12, fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The very next verse after that one in Hebrews is very relevant to this concept of how we can remain patient and steadfast through pain. If we got our eyes fixed on Jesus, as it says there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the very next verse says, consider him. So you consider the farmer, consider the Old Testament prophet, consider Job, now consider him. Consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. That's what happened to Jesus, the one who is our witness in heaven, who came to earth, who suffered on our behalf, who was patient through suffering in a way that we maybe never could in our flesh. The amazing thing, when we consider Jesus and his suffering, and then there's a call for us to be patient through suffering, he's really not asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done for us when he says, be patient through suffering. Are you waiting on provision? Fix your eyes on Jesus, who went 40 days in the desert without food, was never provided for out there. Beyond that, he went all the way to the cross, and he never got the provision of safety and protection against his body. Fix your eyes on him, the provider. Are you questioning your purpose? Fix your eyes on the one who, the night before he went to the cross, seems like he kind of questioned his purpose there for a minute. He said, Father, is there any way? Any other way? And then he submitted. He surrendered to the perfect will of the Father, and he said, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. If you're questioning your purpose, look to the one who was obedient even unto death. And are you in pain? Fix your eyes on him. Who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He has. The only source of the kind of patience that can last is from Jesus himself. I'm a pretty impatient person. I can't muster up the patience on my own. 
but I can lift my eyes to the horizon a bit higher than the next paycheck, the next provision, and I can look for the coming of the Lord, what he's already done for us in the past and what he will do for us in the future. That gives me patience in all of these circumstances. Let's fix our eyes on him. Amen. Let us begin to prepare our hearts to come to the table by standing together.